Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. To uh, come and share about Father's Day. So, it's all yours, buddy. Cool, thanks. Uh, as we say in Zimbabwe, Kuna uh, Kunjan. Madala, Mfazi, Skadi, Mdora, Hamlagashi. So uh, that's what we would say in Shona, in Zimbabwe, um, out of that once great country that is no, no longer. Um, <laughs> I just had to have my political rant there. Um, yeah, so Father's Day. Hey, in New Zealand, especially as we've Got to understand New Zealand, it's Father's Day, but it's also what I always say, Happy Father's Roll Day. There is um, moms, there's aunties, there's uncles, there's brothers, there's sisters, there's grannies, there's grandpas, there's friends who undertake the role of dad. So Happy Father's Roll Day today and for all those people that undertake that uh, type of stuff. You know, um, I really respect and love you for that. Um, I have, I don't know how my verses have been put on the screen. Okay, so there's this New American Expanded Version, which is, takes Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3, uh, 21, and it puts them all together in this expanded version. And I want to start with this. I can't really read that, so I'll... uh, (laughs) It's a bit odd. Uh, So let me read it from my notes. (laughs) Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or exasperate your children, in brackets, with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by favoritism or indifference. Treat them tenderly with loving kindness so they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated with their spirits broken. Very cool. You know, today I'm going to share with you what I call my uh, propositions, and I call them Peter's value propositions. I don't even know what propositions means. But it kind of three sort of things that I stand by through most of my fatherhood life, if you would. And things that I've learned, things that have affected me, things that have influenced me. And I'm going to share these with you today. And I hope that they are useful, that maybe you'll take one or two of these away with you and say, hey, that's, that was quite a good idea. If you get nothing out of it today, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> most dads in here will say the following words. And they'll often say it to themselves. They'll say something like this. I'm certainly not the best dad, but I have tried my best. I have failed. I have not always practiced what I preached. I have made bad decisions. I have made mistakes. But one thing I have always tried to do every single day, and this is me and Dawn's catchphrase or me and Dawn's thing that we do, I have tried every single day to tell my children and their partners, now that they're growing up, 
They've got partners, and we tell them, and we tell their partners, we tell them, we love you. We love you. Which we do. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know? Dawn sometimes says, we always love them. We don't always like them. But we always love them. Why? Because we do. But also because through our journeys very early on, we saw the, the influence and the difference and the input into us when we saw the, the father heart of Christ into our life. That love that we just... <laughs> You know, that made such a difference to us in our lives. Before I get into uh, my propositions, if you would, I want to share with you what I call my umbrella value. And me and Dawn have been greatly affected and influenced by this umbrella value. And that umbrella value is was taught to me by an old fellow who was, had been a missionary in South America. He was one of the first guys that took sort of the charismatic church into South America. And the Catholic, South America is very Catholic. And they, the Catholic fathers or priests, they chased him down and beat him up with a spade. You know, he had these big holes in his head. <laughs> the love of the, of the fathers, you know. <laughs> and... Because he had bought this, you know, the, the charismatic word, the, the love of Jesus into South America. And, and, and it was all, uh, that was sort of spud thing. And spud once when we were coming to, to New Zealand, our kids were all small. We couldn't make our minds up whether we wanted to come, whether we didn't want to come. And he said, Peter, I want to teach you a value that's, that, that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. He says, I want you to endure. How have you thought about this? We said, well, we thought about ourselves and what it's going to do to affect the kids, you know. He said, whoa, 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 stop. I want you to go home, and I want you to go home and do the same thinking, the same SWOT analysis, plus, minus, whatever it is you do. But this time, I want you to make a decision based on your grandchildren. And I went, what? Spud, my daughter's only 10 years old, dude. He says, Pete, go and do that. So we went home. And we did this forecast, this SWOT analysis, call it what you would, based on our grandchildren. And you know what? When you start thinking about this generational grandchildren thing, when I did this study, I started to see out of the Old Testament a lot of the Old Testament generational thinking. Looking way into the future for your future. You know, you look at the whole... The, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you look at the Davidic line, you look at the wilderness wanderings, uh, wanderings as, and you see this how God deals with generations, not one but two or three or four and five up front. And you start to see a real pattern, especially in the Old Testament. We don't see that in the New Testament, generational thinking, because the Old Testament is looking forward to the cross. And the New Testament's looking back at the cross, and we're already there. We are the children of Jesus now. We're already there. 
So you don't see this generational thinking. But we still have as fathers, and you see this in Timothy and Titus and all the later epistles of Paul, the teachings of the responsibilities of the father and of the family right now, looking back at the cross. But we are, and we need to think about, and you might say, well, I've already got grandchildren. But you need to think of your grandchildren's grandchildren. If you start to apply that principle, a lot of stuff becomes really clear. And a lot of your thinking is sort of filtered for you in that. So that's just a principle that I, ha- I-, I hold on to. We, me and Dawn, to this day, well, we, we live in hope. Um, uh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Uh, we still think about our grandchildren. We're making plans. Oh, yeah, I went, oh, man, that was, oh, that, was, that was soft of me, man. I went to an antique show, and there was this little tea set. And I said, Donnie, look at this little tea set. What do you want a tea set? Oh, for the, when the grandchildren come and play. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> you know. And in that whole thinking, I want to tell you this really important thing that comes out of that. In that, as Christians and as families, we are one generation away from extinction. And you say, what do you mean by that? Take my son Ben. You know, in modern days, if he doesn't have a son, the Engelbrick name is, is gone. And that's, that's one generation. And my name is gone from the earth. And likewise, as Christians, if we don't pass that on to the grandchildren, we're one generation away from extinction. You know? So let's get on. We'll start softly and then we'll gather a bit of momentum. I think otherwise, you know, you guys might get shocked. Okay. (laughs) Peter's first value proposition is operate in your children's context. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Peter's first value proposition. Operate in your children's context. Operate in your children's context. Christ immersed himself into the context of people. Christ immersed himself into the context of people. I did a study and I found 40 occasions where Christ interacted with people, interacted in occasions, interacted in conversations, interacted somehow with people. And I'm sure much, much more than that. Okay, And in those 40 places that I found, he ministered to people. He showed people he cared. He showed people he was interested in what they were doing. He showed people he understood their situation or at least had empathy for their situation. Some of the people, he met the tax collector, he prayed for the leper, he socialized with the unclean, he stood in the water with the fishermen in their context and in, in, in their understanding. And because of that, they led him into their world. He connected with people's thoughts and feelings. He understood that he had to connect with their existing lens or frameworks. He had to understand what their knowledge, experience and skills were. He had to sit inside their world. You know, with your children and your children's children and your friends' children, 
and all those other people that you're influencing, you have to show them you are interested in their values. You have to show them you're interested in their stuff. You have to show them you're interested in their world and that it is important. You have to not just sit in that context or sit in that world, but you have to show them that it's important, important to you to be there. You know, I go way back to when my kids were small. I tried my best to live this and one of the things that the pastor, one pastor said to me, a great friend of mine said, Pete, you have to really live that, living in their context. So how am I going to do this? And one day, one Saturday, with the two girls, we were um, doing, playing dolls. I used to play dolls. I used to brush hair, sit in the, in, in the doll's house that I built, have tea, all that stuff. I painted my nails, painted my toes. And that, and that, that, that night I went, I was just about a, wipe the nail varnish off. And the words of that guy said, Peter, live in their context. So I went to church the next day <laughs> with my fingernails and my nails painted and I wore flip-flops so people could see. And you know, my girls, they were so chuffed because not only had I operated in their context, it was important enough for me to go to church in my nail varnish. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with Ben, with with my son, you know, I um, we we started to find what what he had in interest, what was interesting for him, and one of the things he he got interested for was paintball, and we amassed this huge arsenal of weapons, <laughs> and we used to do dumb stuff, very dumb. Don was very cross. <laughs> but I could have just said, right, get all the maids, get in the truck. We're going to go now and paint paintball. You know, and I, I immersed myself in the paintball world. It was sore. <laughs> it was really sore. It was uncomfortable. You know, those welts, they stick to the sheets and stuff. But you know what? In that context, in that environment, embedding myself, I learned so much about my son and about his world and his thinking. You know, one time, my old friend, I said to him, now, Eric, I'm going to call my next dog, Griff, my next Griffin dog, Eric, after this guy. <laughs> I, I said, Eric, I'm going to run from that tree to that tree. Yeah, and when I, when I get to this, I stop Ben shooting. Now, Ben, when I leave this tree, you're allowed to shoot me. When I get to the other tree, you stop. Okay, fine. Halfway across, I slipped on the wet grass. <laughs> and Ben from here, he was just carrying on shooting. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm scurrying around. Eventually, I get to the other tree. Ben stops. I go, hey, Eric, dude, I was down on the ground. Why didn't, I, why didn't you stop him? He says, you weren't at the tree, dude. <laughs> You know, anyway, Ben, I haven't forgotten, dude. <laughs> you know, what, what is this all about? 1 John 4, it says, he does not have to, 1 John 4, it says, 
I can't read it still. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love, an intimate love. The biblical depiction of God is one of mighty power and outstanding love. When we love somebody, we care about the details of their lives. You know, the lady at Jacob's well, I always hear preachers say, oh, she spoke to Jesus because he revealed her sin about having a fifth or sixth husband or whatever. I, I don't agree with that. You know, my theology on the lady of the well was in this, that Jesus immersed himself, himself into her context, you know, not because of her sin had been laid over, but because Jesus asked relevant questions, gave appropriate answers to her questions, and broke all cultural barriers of the time. When you do this, people let you into their world. They will engage with you. You begin to earn the right to their trust and confidence. A bit like Revelation 3.20, I knock on the door, and if you want me, you'll Invite me in. So that's it, the first one. Operate in their context. The second, Peter's second value property is to show emotion with your children. Now, my dad was a hard man, very hard man. He very rarely showed my mom affection, very showed us kids affection. But I always remember he cried when his dogs died. <laughs> Go figure, you know. Hey, and I always say to people, what's your dog? What's your dog, chap? Is your dog your golf clubs, your car, your work, the pop idol? I see more people crying when whoever dies, you know, like, you don't even know the person, you know. You just spend 100 bucks buying their LPs or whatever. You don't have LPs anymore, eh? <laughs> <laughs> CDs or whatever. So what's... You don't get CDs either. Oh, uh, really? Oh, gosh. They're coming back? So I always say to people, hey, what's your dog? What, what makes you cry? You know, is it those other things? Or is it your family and is it your kids that make you cry? Where do you show your emotion with? You know, my dad was a dog, you know. But hey... I've always tried to be open with my children. I cry during movies with them. I cry when I'm proud of them. I laugh at the things they find funny because they take after me. I tell them I love them. I always tell them, I've said this already before, I tell them I love them. And there's one thing my son does with me. He doesn't shake my hand. He, he embraces me. And I... I just think that's so flippin' cool, you know, that my son and myself, we hug each other. You, and I think that's so, so important, you know, and... <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, boys especially are, to are told to harden up, be tough, don't cry. And I believe that when you teach your children to harden up, be tough, I believe it lessens their ability to be emotional in the family, to lead the family with a, with a Christ-centered heart. It, it, it lessens their ability to be able to communicate into the family. I believe it lessens their ability to be able to embrace and to love and to do the things when times are tough that they need to do. You know, 
I believe this is the ability of husbands and fathers who can meet the family's emotional needs, the family who can feel comfortable in grief and celebration, are stronger, closer, and able to handle difficult times. Listen to this. Boys are wired to impress, to be heroes, to be powerful, to be dangerous. Boys want to prove themselves. And I challenge dads, tell them, you've got what it takes, chap. And tell them once and tell them twice and tell them three times. You want to be dangerous. You want to be a superhero. You want to be powerful. You've got what it takes. And tell them that time and time again. Girls, girls want to know, I am lovely. Tell them you are lovely. Tell them you are worth fighting for. Girls are wired to capture attention, to be princesses and to be movie stars. Tell them and tell them again and tell them again. You are a princess. You're a movie star. You're worth fighting for. And tell them once and tell them twice and tell them three times. Remember though, not to the detriment of your wife, not to the detriment of the other people in your family. You know, I, it's very, in my mind, my dad watching him, not only just not showing emotion to us kids, but not showing emotion to my mom. That was when me and Dawn first got together. Man, it was hard for me to hold her hand. It was hard for me to do a lot of that stuff. I had to kind of learn that. You know, but Dawn was so hot on me that she, it came like. But she just like, I went, hey. Bang. Whoosh. So I, like, I, I learned it like. Smother, smother type thing, you know. <laughs> but not to the detriment of others, you know. And especially your wife and your partner and your, your girlfriend, whatever it is, you know, else in that equation. Um, Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. You know, I, I was quite interested. I never, I try to look up laugh in, in my, in my um, Strong's Concordance and whatever. Jesus never laughed, well, according to Strong's you go up and you look for laugh. He's never laughed. But he always, he always has shown this deep, caring, compassionate emotion, heartfelt and deep-seated concern. After asking where Jesus had been laid and been invited to go closer to see the tomb, Jesus himself begins to weep. He allows himself to physically express his emotions in the way that God intends us for. If Jesus weeps, I tell you one thing, it's okay with me. I'll cry my eyes out, you know. And because Jesus chooses to express himself in that healthy way and it's internally feeling and processing the community of people all around him, everybody then says the following. See his emotions and how he's feeling. When they saw him weeping, many recognized and they say how he loved Lazarus. Glenn says, I cry with my kids. Well, you're looking because I love them. And you have to see that. And other people have to see that. You know? Peter's value, proposition number two, show emotion with your children. Last one. This, this might be a little hard on some of you. But anyway, listen to this. My third value proposition. Be prepared to die for your children. 
And you might say, Peter, it's Sunday. Dude, that's a crazy thing to say. It's Father's Day. I don't want to die today. <laughs> My third value proposition is about your fathers. It's about your relationship with your family and your kids to the following extent. Be prepared to die for your children. You know why? Well, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I ask myself, what's this test? And the test is the following. It does, there's two things that we get tested with. The first test is it checks your heart. It checks your heart. It lets God love you and for you to love him back. And if you don't, how can those who are most precious to you be loved by you? Let God love you and you love him back. It checks your heart. It also helps you forgive the offenses, heal the wounds, accept who you are in Christ, so you can transfer that to your children. I know on the days that I'm struggling and the weeks that I'm struggling, when I struggle to be openly and admit Today I want to be a sacrifice for my kids. Today I am prepared to die for my children. On those days, I always ask myself this question. Pete, you're struggling. Are you prepared to die for your children today? And that is my reality check. When I want to check my heart, it's the days that I'm a little less inclined, if you would, Sorry, kids, <laughs> to be a sacrifice for them. So number one, be prepared to die for your children because it checks your heart. The second thing it does, and, and the, the, the scripture that I had for that was Psalm 26.2. Examine me, O Jehovah, and prove me. Try my heart and mind. The second check, if you would, is it checks your status. So first one checks your heart, second one checks your status. You know, some people might find this a little strange. But most every day that I wake up, one of the first things I do is I pray. I said, Lord, today, if it be your will, make me a sacrifice for my kids that they might be okay, that they might be well with you, that that close shave is exactly that, that the dangers that are lurk around them, Lord, if it be you, make me a sacrifice for them. And that is around checking my status. Not because you know... For me, I, not my status is not because I'm going to, no, I'm going to go to heaven, a born again Christian. I've given my life to Jesus. I've gone before the cross. I've repented. I've turned away. I've accepted Jesus into my heart and into my life and walked the life of a Christian. It's not because of that. When I say check your status about knowing that you're going to heaven, but also because you know you have done everything to ensure your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children have seen in you and me 
Jesus. And because of that, they have confidence in Jesus. They need to see that because they need to have confidence in Jesus because they need to walk that walk. You, you can't walk that walk for them. They have to walk that walk for you. You know, and when it comes to checking my status, I struggle. When I most struggle, I ask myself, when I'm really struggling around this, my status perspective in relation to that, I always ask myself, Pete, are you scared of dying today? And some days I say, yes, I am. And then I know that I'm in trouble. That as a father, I need to go back and I need to look at all of those values that I've set in place. I need to look at all the things that I've promised myself I would be as a father, that I would be as a, a, as a son of the, the father on high, of the things that I promised myself that I would do and be and show and be an example of. There are days when I say, today I'm really scared of dying. Pretty soon I'll go to heaven, but I, I don't want to go there in this state. And so those are the two things. And you might think it's bizarre. And you might be really scared to say, hey, today I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice to my children. And I do that to, to my children and their partners. You know, they, they all my children. For Em and Troy, for Tony and Tim, for Ben and Charlotte. Not just my kids, but to them. And if she's been nice to me, to Dawn. (laughs) But my whole family. I offer to my family as a father who has a responsibility that I will be a sacrifice. If that be your, your will, Lord, take me. That my children and my wife will be safe. And that you would be in me, Lord, that I would have confidence in doing this so that I can check my status, check my heart, that they can see in me Christ, that they can see in me and have confidence in the cross. You know, in, in conclusion, Ephesians 6.4 says, the title Father comes with great responsibility. Comes with great responsibility. John 17, 6 tells us that the biggest accolade we can ever be given is to be called Father. And I also say to be called Father and to be called Father role person, if that's politically correct. Tells us, John 17, 6, tells us the highest accolade we can be given is to be called Father or mother or auntie or granny or grandpa or sister or friend. And especially today as we stand here and be fathers and mothers and those support people, that our children would see that in us. I want to end up with this quote that I found last week. Uh, It was in a Grace Community Church website. And Grace Community Church is where John MacArthur, who I used to study quite a bit when I was at Bible school, uh, it's his church. And this father wrote this, and I think probably wraps up our hearts and my thinking especially, and maybe something that takes all what I've spoken about today and wraps it into kind of like a, a little story. So 
here, here goes. My family's all grown and the kids all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me being a better dad. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that ever happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. Message done. Message finished.